would, please turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We won't be there long, but we'll start there. We're basically doing a summary on um, seven blessings of forgiveness. And what I am doing in the summary is calling it the nobility of forgiveness. And um, we will wrap this these ten points up today and uh, move on to uh, the end of chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come before your throne uh, to thank you for this country, Lord. That, uh, by your grace and your mercy, each of us was uh, born and raised here in this country. Uh, and Father... Uh, I beg forgiveness for all the times we have taken uh, taken that blessing for granted. Father, as I think about our country at war at this time, Lord, I pray that uh, your mercy will be upon our soldiers and the leaders of our soldiers. And that, Father, um, many, many eyes would be open to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, uh, may we who are here who are embracing this freedom, who have lived in this freedom, who exercise within this freedom. Uh, Father, may we not take it for granted. And yet, Father, may we rest in the assurance that we know true freedom, true liberty is in you and you alone. Father, give us eyes to see this text. Father, give us ears to hear that we may know you more. And Father, may we be seen as a people who forgive as we have been forgiven in Christ's name. Amen. Ten things we've been looking at on the nobility of forgiveness. And, 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 and it's like I said, this is sort of just to bring this back to a summary. Uh, and when we think about nobility uh, and honor, um, is there anything really greater than that of forgiveness. The first reason that we looked at is that at no other time will we ever be more like God than when we forgive as God forgives. And um, I, I think there's times uh, that we set a standard that we think is appropriate and basically what will end up happening is you set a standard that's higher than God's. And I do not understand at all how we who have been forgiven cannot forgive. Um, we are called to walk as Christ. And if there's anything that you can understand about Christ was the compassion and the passion he had for forgiveness. S second thing is, the nobility of forgiveness is the fulfillment of the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. But if you look at biblical teaching on murder, it comes from an attitude. It comes from an attitude of vengeance. It comes from an attitude of anger, of retribution. And sometimes it is played out in murder. Sometimes it isn't. And when we forgive as Christ forgave us, our sins are as far as the east is from the west, then we have fulfilled the sixth commandment. Third thing is, the nobility of forgiveness. We need to forgive because we have been forgiven the greater. The uh, accumulated sin each of us has before God cannot compare to anything anybody has ever done to you. Ever. 
Even if you had one person who continues to sin against you and it's an accumulated sin, it cannot compare to what sin you have sinned against the Most High God. Fifthly, if you do not forgive, you will miss the love of the saints. We looked at this in the parable of the servant who turned his fellow servant in to uh, pay a debt. Uh, and a person who is of an unforgiving heart will not enjoy the fellowship of the saints. We are a community of forgiven people. You cannot exist in that community if you're not forgiving. It will make you, shall we call it, uncomfortable. Not only that, you will find that the brotherhood and the fellowship of the saints will begin petitioning God to break you of this hard-heartedness. And that's always an interesting concept. Which brings me to the sixth point. That would bring you into divine chastening. God will chasten an unforgiving saint to whatever degree is necessary to bring them to the point of forgiving. And, 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 I, and I have seen this happen over and over, is that God will basically set you aside and let you wallow in your dog vomit until you get it. And, and I have seen this, and, and it's a tragedy. You can point it out to people, and they look at you like you have fallen off a turnip truck. And that's fine, because you know what? It will come to a point, and God will deal with it. Seventhly, if you do not forgive as God has forgiven you, you will not be forgiven. And now, this has nothing to do with your salvation. This has to do with your sanctification. Uh, salvation is your eternal security. All right? If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiving. So in your life, you will not have the, the fellowship of the saints nor the fellowship of God. Uh, and, and you become useless. And God is not going to move you from that point until you learn to forgive. Eighthly, if you do not forgive, Jesus taught us that you are unfit to worship. Think about it. I'm going to he who is worthy. How can I carry a grudge? It's an interesting concept, but you know what? There's plenty of people who do it. There's plenty of people who get mad and I'm not going to forgive, but I'm going to church. And you just sit there and go, whoa. And the ninth thing we looked at last week is that when we do not forgive, we assert God's authority. We start saying our standard of righteousness, our standard of right and wrong is higher than God's. It's easier for God to forgive than it is for me to forgive. Really? Really? All right, now, I, I saved this one, last one, the tenth one, because I, I think, I could be wrong. I think many people miss this in the attitude and the action of forgiveness. Okay? 
When you have something that happens in your life where you have been unjustly offended, I mean, it can be anything. It can be uh, verbal abuse. It can be physical abuse. It could be, you know, maybe somebody stole something from you or whatever it is. All right. Uh, The emotion of that event will cloud a lot of things that you're trying and that God will try to do. But there's something here that I think that we need to think of, kind of my final thought. Your injuries, um, your offenses that have come against you, okay, whatever it is, are to mature you. They mature you. Not the offender, the one who has been offended. Offenses against us individually are those trials that mature us. Okay? Brothers and sisters, I was thinking about this when I was writing out my notes. Uh, I could make a list that would stagger you on the things that people have done to me that I can look back at now and say, God grew me. He matured me through those things. When you think about all of your difficulties, all the criticisms, when you think about all the injustices against you, I know that nobody here has, but I have been taken advantage of a time or two. Okay? All of the persecution, all of the offenses, all of the mistreatment, all of the unkindness of life, all the things people do to violate you, Whatever they are. All of those things all wrapped together to constitute your trials to grow you. Would you agree? I know nobody's really happy about it. These are the trials of life. Uh, Whether it is that child... That you may have. I know that your children do not cause you trials. Uh, Mine have never ceased causing me trials. It could be that spouse. Have you remember? Have you ever heard that? You know, take up your cross and bear your cross, and that's my husband or that's my wife. Uh, That person that you're married to. I know they never. My wife, my husband have never offended me. You know, lying is a sin too. When you think about all of those things, that guy you work with, it's, it's, that, uh, it's that policeman that says, do you know how fast you are going? Huh? And we all say the same thing. No. And we all do know. I mean, as soon as you look in the light and you see his lights, you look down and go, oh, poo. (laughs) All of these trials remind you 
that you're growing. The greatest gift that has ever been given unto you is the absolute forgiveness of the Most High God. And now that you've received that, guess what? You will walk in it. I will walk in that forgiveness. So, I will take you to the text that everybody knows that we're headed, and that would be James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I will ask you a question before I read this text. And I want you all to think about what I'm going to ask. What do you count as joy? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Let's read the text. Consider it all joy. Cool. What? My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Interesting thought, isn't it? I am going to rejoice in all of those individuals who have sinned against me. I don't see anybody lining up for that line. You go ahead, you take that one. I'm going to go down here to the other joy bucket. See, that is the opposite of an unforgiving attitude. When the person or people have sinned against you, do I rejoice? Do I count it all joy that they did that? Knowing that that is the very instrument that our Lord and our Savior is using to mature me? Interesting concept, don't you think? A rejoicing attitude on someone who has sinned against me. See the opposite attitude? See, it's easy to say. I was a friend of mine who said, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. All right? You know what that means, right? Okay, if you've done it to me once... Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Okay, if you do it to me twice, I should have never put you in a place where you could do it a second time. That ain't what this text says. This text says, I will grow in the grace and mercy of my Lord and my Savior when I know that the people who have sinned against me, I forgive. Am I rejoicing? I know, so ain't nobody sinned against me. You're going to have a bad day today. (laughs) Bugger is just about to go downhill in some kind of crash mode. Why do I rejoice in this? Because this testing, these trials, they test my faith. What do I trust in? and, And I'm not... I'm talking about my ultimate step-by-step, moment-by-moment life. What do I unwaveringly trust in? 
What is your faith in? Vengeance? Understanding that this will produce endurance, patience. You know, I, I remember people say, well, you know, you, you should pray for patience. I've learned you don't have to pray for patience. You never, ever have to ask God, give me patience. Because I can guarantee you, most of you right now, moment by moment, are learning patience. It is an unrelenting lesson. And I couldn't understand why it was other than the fact that it's, unre- <laughs> it's unrelentingly difficult to remember. Yeah, I forgot patience again. See, it is through that endurance that it will have its perfect result. Okay, it's complete. It's non-lacking result. Do you understand how non-lacking that result is? It is perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's what it produces. People who have sinned against you, you forgive It will mature your faith in patience and it will have a perfect result where you will lack nothing. And the reason that I watch the body of Christ struggle and and, and try to seek all of these things to do is because there's an unforgiving attitude in some and you're never going to be lacking in nothing until you get that issue taken care of. You cannot grow if you don't cross that bridge. One of the things you'll see about the Lord is that if He points something out to you, whether in your own Bible studies or just your quiet time or your devotional time, if He points something out to you, you go nowhere until that point's taken care of. Now, His grace is sufficient. He will provide a way out. But it's right there, man. And you ain't going nowhere. You give a whole new meaning to take a lap around Sinai. You ain't going nowhere. You ain't doing nothing until that's dealt with. If you've got an unforgiving attitude, you ain't going anywhere. And you have a very immature faith. So, when assaulted... Battered, abused, victimized, mistreated, whatever you want to call it, then our responsibility should be to embrace that as God's means to our spiritual maturity. Well, I would rather just do Bible studies. Okay? Well, yeah, that's a good idea. But understand with more that you understand, more responsibility is given. Which means that you study your Bible all the time, then God's going to say, you trust it? And we all sit here on Sunday morning and say, yeah, I trust it. God says, let's see how you do about 115. <laughs> Let me give you another text. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. It's a fascinating text in the original language. I don't really want to get into the syntax of it. It gets a little complicated. But I'll just read you the text and then I'll explain it to you. After you have suffered for a little while, 
The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <laughs> it's kind of a cool text, isn't it? I remember reading a guy one time, this has been years ago. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's been a lot longer than that, hasn't it? This is the first book I preached. That would be a, a few years ago. Okay. That text, after you have suffered, you know what that, how that's written out? In the original language? You are going to suffer. <laughs> what well, ain't the Jesus I wanted? No, you will suffer. Charles Spurgeon speaking on this text says, Why is it that we in the church believe that we should be lifted up on the shoulders and touted as heroes when our Lord and our Savior was carried out on a cross? It's an interesting concept. Don't you think that's an interesting concept? We want to be... Ta-da! After you have suffered. Guess what? The Lord. The Lord Himself will perfect you. So how am I going to be perfected? You ever thought about that? How is it that I can be more Christ-like? I know. Nobody wants that line either. <laughs> That's that, that other... I want the other joy bucket. <laughs> that, that one there. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. I know some of you... Now, I know none of you would have ever thought this. Um, but it has crossed my little pea brain. If that's what it takes to be mature, I'll stay infant. <laughs> I got to suffer to grow? Ah, but I just stay a baby. <laughs> I, now, I know you guys would never say... But that's the way my warped little bean works. I'm like, well, I'm going to quit reading this bugger because it's depressing. Go over to uh, the Matthew, or Matthew, the Second Corinthian text, uh, chapter twelve. <clears throat> okay, now this is conclusion of this letter, and we all kind of have some ideas of what was going on in the Apostle Paul's life and the readings, the writings of these letters, and, and and the heartache that this man had for this church. Right? Look at verse ten. Of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, now he's concluding. He's kind of, it's almost a summary of the whole, whole letter is, is starting to roll out now. And here's what he says. Therefore, I am well content. Stop and think about that word for a second. What makes you content? Okay, just a question. You know, you don't have to answer, but I just, what is it in your life that makes you content? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. I am well content with weakness, weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Out of all of the quote-unquote debilitating assaults in the apostle's life, the beatings, the accusations, whatever the pain, in it all, Paul says, I see the hand of God making me strong. 
You ever thought about that? I don't care what it is. Roll it all out. The heartache. The God has forsaken me. I don't know you guys have ever thought that. Where did he go? I've just been left here. Why do I have to endure this? Have you ever thought that it's because he wanted to show you his hand in your life? For when I am weak, he is strong. See, the proper response to someone who has sinned against you is not bitterness, it is not anger, it is not revenge, and it is not fear. It is to embrace that, that offense and see it as a trial, see it as a testing to grow yours and my faith. God intends to use it to make you strong as you respond rightly to it. No matter the offense. These are reasons why we forgive. That's ten reasons right there that I just gave you. On why we forgive. So. Here's what I will do to conclude. Let's model it. I was talking this morning in uh, Sunday school, and and I'm still wrestling with it. One of these days, it'll be a real powerful sermon, probably when I get to heaven. (laughs) But it's the difference between hearing and heeding. Okay? I just showed you. Through sufferings, we mature. But it's not a blind maturity and it's not due blind suffering. I have the word of God. I have the indwelling of the spirit and I have the body of Christ. So I have that to help me through whatever it is. But see, we get our pride in a way. Well, I just I can't share what I'm struggling with. Then struggle with it yourself. (laughs) Knock yourself out with it. Okay. when you get ragged enough, call me. First Peter chapter two, verse 19. <clears throat> He's talking about submitting to the authorities that are over us. That's the context. And he says this, for this finds favor. Okay, now Christians at the writing of this letter were being uh, rolled in tar and stuck through lances and lit on fire to be lanterns for parties. Okay? So, and he's sitting here saying, submit to those authorities. You're like, (laughs) yo, Peter, are you out of your mind? Go back to fishing. Here's what he says. This finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. The sorrow that overwhelms us when something unjust happens to us, if we bear up under it, 
even if it is unjust. Just a little footnote for you. It is going to happen in this life. There ain't a person in this room who's not going to get the treasure of suffering unjustly. Okay? If you read on, verse 21. You have been called for this purpose. Oh, gee. Why did you tell me that? Why didn't you tell me that before I asked Jesus Christ to save me? (laughs) I'd have rethought it. You have been called for this purpose since Christ, what? Suffered for you. Are you a follower of Christ? Since he suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. We've been called for this purpose. Christ is our examples. That's like the Apostle Paul saying, be a follower of me as I am of Christ. We follow in his steps. What does it look like? You know, because I've I've been telling you, uh, you know, Matt knows this and Stephanie, Paige and a few other who have seen some of the things that I've had to go through. Uh, you know, they always come up with their brilliant statements and, and I try my best not to just smack them, but um, I've been, been pretty successful. But you're just bearing the cross. You know what? There's times I'd just as soon do the cross. Why? At least you know where the end is. You know, you crucify me, I'm figuring I got one or two days and I'm out of here. But there are some things that we will endure and it seems like it just goes on and on ever ready bunny it just keeps going and going and going how, how do we do this easy an example for you to follow in his steps verse 22 who committed no sin now that, that gives a whole different meaning to unjustly right i mean i'm thinking that none of us can kind of get into the i committed no sin mode okay and I mean, in some cases, what has come against you, you deserve. I know none of you can't believe my pastor just said that. <laughs> I can. <laughs> All right. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. How did he handle unjust suffering? You know what? I look at the fact that he was born and walked among us as unjust. I mean, that's just sort of my perspective. I mean, this is my creation and it's sin impacted. And why would I want to hang out there? It's sort of like getting a beach ticket to Mississippi today. Yay. <laughs> He did not deserve the treatment that he got. He had committed no sin. He was not deceptive in anything that he said. He was reviled. And when he was reviled, he did nothing to return. He suffered and he offered no threats. He kept entrusting himself 
to the one who judges rightly. He just gave himself to God. Why? Vengeance is the Lord's. I ain't going to worry about it. Because, see, he knows that the Father in heaven will do whatever is right. The Father in heaven will do whatever is just. And I will not retaliate, Jesus said. I will not strike back, Jesus said. I will not even speak a threat. Because I am committing myself to you, Lord. That's pretty serious. Verse 24 says he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. See, he bore our sins. He bore our, our penalty on his body, on the cross. The people, now think about this for a second, because this is what Peter's talking about. On that cross, the people that put him to death, and, and I'm not talking, you know, oh, well, we're all guilty. I'm talking the guys hanging, swinging the hammer, the guy doing the whip, the guy putting the crown of thorns on, the guy who are lifting the cross up and dropping it down in that hole, the people who are walking by going, la, 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 and all that, and mocking him, and the people who are sucker punching him when they would cover up his head. I'm talking about them people. And he didn't bring an accusation against any of them. Not one. And yet, what he went through was truly the epitome of unjust. And I wonder what grace and what love that is. He was being wounded. And he was offering those wounds... To heal the very ones who were inflicting the wounds. For this purpose you have been called. That's our attitude. See, Jesus knew the purpose of God. And it was working out. In his unjust suffering. How do you know that your unjust suffering isn't working out the purposes of God? I can tell you this. They are. Apostle Paul writing to the Romans says, I am convinced that the sufferings of this age can't compare. How do you know that someone who has not wronged you and you forgive as Christ forgave you will not bring that person into the kingdom? Well, I'm not going to let them take advantage of me. Really? 
They were sinning against Him. But in it all, He didn't take the offense personally. Because He turned the vengeance to the Father. Let the Father deal with it. To, to redeem. He was hanging on that cross. He had been whipped. He had been up all night. He had been mocked. He had been crown of thorns put on his head. They had sucker punched him. They had spit on him. They had drove spikes through his feet and his wrist. And he did it because he knew it had the ability to redeem the very people who had brought him to that unjust pain. Hmm. Interesting, don't you think? A saint long ago penned these words and I will read them to you. Quote, Revenge indeed seems often sweet to men, but it is only sugared poison and its aftertaste is as bitter as hell. Forgiving, enduring love alone is sweet and blissful. It enjoys peace and the consciousness of God's favor. Be forgiving. It gives away and alienates the injury. It treats the injurer as if he had not injured and therefore feels no more smart and sting that he had inflicted. Forgiven is the shield from which all the fiery darts of the wicked one harmly, harmlessly bounce away. Forgiveness brings heaven to earth and heaven's peace into the sinful heart. Forgiveness is the image of God, the forgiving Father. Forgiveness is the advancement of Christ's kingdom in this world. Unquote. You know when he wrote those words? Just before they burned him at a stake in Edinburgh, Scotland. Kept looking for his writings to see, but don't forgive the guy with the match. <laughs> it ain't there. Our Father, we can only ask. That what we now know about forgiveness. Will pass from our heads. To our hearts. What we understand to be true forgiveness has been commanded. And may it become a way of life. Let us who have been forgiven so much be filled with nothing but forgiveness. I have prayed for you all in the last few weeks and I can summarize it in just this small phrase. May we see the horror 
from an unforgiving attitude. Every one of us. Let's pray. Father, beginning with me, may we be ever and always running eagerly, passionately to embrace the penitent, not with marginal, not with tolerance. Father, may we embrace with a ring, with a robe, with a feast. Father, may each and every one of us in this room forgive the way you have forgiven us. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Stephen and all the saints who have walked before us. But Father, when I think about him hanging on that cross, no threats, no anger, no bitterness, no vengeance to the very ones sinning against him. Father, may that be how we are known. Father, we love you and we praise you. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the trials that you bring into our lives. And it's perfecting work. Father, may we walk in an eagerness to grow the image of our Savior, Christ's name. Amen.